This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your sometimes host, Matt Scalina. How are you doing, Corey? You're you're unable to come down to Kokomo Studios. Yeah, I'm on the road somewhere at this point, to be honest with you. I don't even know what day or what city I'm in, it feels like. So far this week, I've gone, I've gone from Parksville to Nanaimo, Nanaimo back to Vancouver to the podcast. Went to Kelowna, met the team up there for the day. Now, I think I'm en route to Kamloops, I think, or somewhere in that direction. So I'm somewhere <laughs> in BC trying to discover the next big market for the podcast. Hey, this is this is why we pay you the big bucks, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we should get to our guest this week. We have Jonathan Meads. He's the vice president of Streetside British Columbia, a division of Qualico Homes. And you know what? Qualico is not only is like the second best thing to come out of your home province besides the Squ- Scalina Brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think I think I think Qualico Avenue is right next to Scalina Boulevard. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it's the debate everybody has all the time in Manitoba. <laughs> what's the what's the biggest import, the Scalina Brothers or Qualico, the largest builder in Western Canada? And the, yeah, the verdict's not in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, after this podcast, we'll let the listeners come up to their with their own verdict on that. But great episode, and a lot of people probably don't realize just how big Qualico is and how big their presence in BC is through various branches that they brand that they have, such as Fox Ridge Homes and Streetside Development, which is their multifamily townhouse arm. Yeah. And you know what? And and soon to be concrete high rise arm. I, I think yeah. one of the things yeah. that I was thinking about after this conversation with Jonathan, first of all, just really, really bright guy, came from England, worked with concert before Streetside. Yeah. So there's kind of that kind of global understanding of real estate and then kind of some deep experience here in, in British Columbia. But the interesting thing was how he talked about how they were, how it was different than in other cities, or at least that was my takeaway yeah. that Streetside was looking at transit nodes. They were looking at, at concrete yeah. high rises just because of the way development's working here in Metro Vancouver. Well, traditionally, if you look at a lot of places they've built, like obviously they've built in the Burnaby district there along the Hastings corridor, but also they've built a lot in Surrey. He talks about Maple Ridge, South Surrey. So, I mean, they've been primarily a Fraser Valley-based development company, it sounds like, with their offices right in Surrey, that now COVID has probably put an even bigger onus on the market already. And so it almost seems like they're ahead of the trend. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No, it's a, it's a great conversation. One thing, too, like we talked to Jonathan for, I don't know, 45 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah. I left that conversation wanting more. We'll have to have him back if he's yeah. got the time. I feel like that could have been one of those... Uh, we run long, like to the tune of two hours. It, it, 45 yeah. minutes felt like a, a minute. Definitely look forward to having Jonathan back. So before we get to our talk with Jonathan Meads, Corey, kind of big news out of the city of Vancouver's mayor's office uh, yeah. over the yeah. last week you or so. There's going to be potentially an empty homes tax on commercial real estate. 
So when you're golfing and you kind of make a blunder, people kind of give you a mulligan. So I'm hoping this is going to be one of those mulligan moments here. <laughs> I, you mean, I've been in this business now for 10, 12, however many years now, and I haven't heard of anything stupider. And why I say that is maybe our companies just always worked with the wrong clients, but I've yet to find a commercial investor say, hey, here's my strategy. I want to buy this strata lot or this building. I want it to sit completely vacant. I want to pay the mortgage out of my pocket. I want to pay the property taxes out of my pocket, the insurances out of my pocket, and all the additional costs. I want those to come right from my pocketbook. And I'm going to sit back and cross my fingers, hope things goes, go as planned. I've never yet come across the investor with that mentality. So I'm not sure where this is coming from. Maybe it, maybe they're taking it from the success of the empty homes tax that it's going to force landlords to lease out their places. But the difference in the housing market is by putting an empty homes tax on it, you're kind of trying to create rental opportunities for people that need housing. Most people in the commercial sector do not go into it with the mindset, we want to intentionally leave our buildings vacant. And I think when you look at some of the challenging areas right now, such as Chinatown in the city here, a lot of those places have become vacant, not by the landlord's choice, but just due to the challenges those tenants are having in that area with increased crime and all of that stuff that's unfortunately happened over the past couple of years. I haven't heard of anything, a, a dumber idea because I'll say, unless we're completely working with the wrong client base, I've yet to come across the investor that has that mindset that they want to buy it and leave it intentionally vacant between now and 10 years to run up their costs. Nobody likes money coming in every month, Corey. No, no. <laughs> why, would you, why would you want to bring that money? And I'm sure everyone loves like, you know, just dipping into their savings account every month to keep the building afloat and the lights off. And you know, like with on the residential side, the empty homes tax um, had its critics, right? But over the years, we've worked with a lot of people that had, you know, little one bedrooms in Yale town that they'd maybe come in to Vancouver from the Island, like, you know, once a month, there was a lot of those properties like that. That was actually a thing. And it is no longer yeah. because I don't think any of those people were interested in paying the empty homes tax. So rightly or wrongly, those, you know, have usually changed hands or turned into rentals. And, and that makes sense. But I think what you're suggesting is on the commercial side, nobody's uh, holding a commercial property so they can come into Vancouver once a month. Yeah, no, it's not traditionally the investment strategy most people like to take. So I, I don't, I'd like to think the idea is not going to gain legs with council there, but I guess never say never. So I think, I mean, maybe we'll just give the mayor a mulligan on this one after he looks at it, you I mean, a week later and realizes it wasn't the brightest idea. Sounds good. Well, maybe we'll, uh, we'll leave it there, Corey. Let's cut to our talk with Vice President of Streetside BC, Jonathan Meads. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial. John, Alan, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Jonathan Meads, Vice President of Streetside BC. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm good. How are you guys? We're, we're very well. It's exciting to have you on the show. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to speak to us. Oh, thanks for having me. Can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, a bit about me. Uh, that's the boring bit. 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm an expat or an impact, depending on how you want to call it. I, I moved here 20 years ago, married a Canadian lady, and uh, I've been based here in Vancouver ever since. I'm a chartered surveyor by training, so I, I worked for about 10 years in the UK in residential commercial sector. And then when I moved out here, started my life with cooperators. And after a few years, moved to concert properties. So I worked with uh, Dave Podmore and Brian McCauley there for uh, 11 years before moving to Streetside to take on development work here. And then uh, two and a half years ago, managed to uh, be promoted to the position I am in now, which is is running the business unit. And uh, we're, we're the multifamily part of the Qualico group here in BC. I actually, I feel like we could go down a rabbit hole of the last 20 years and kind of your take on the real estate market here. But but maybe to start, yeah. so Streetside, of course, is is related to Qualico. Can you tell us a little bit about Streetside? I think... A lot of people are going to know mm. Streetside, but the Qualico kind of relationship and and the history of Qualico, we'd love to hear hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Qualico is one of those companies that's just quietly in the background, but actually is a pretty big company. We're, we're probably one of the largest privately owned real estate businesses in Western Canada. Qualico is based out of Winnipeg and operates under a series of sub-companies, which they call business units. Here in BC, um, there's really three sub-companies based in Surrey, which is where our, our office is. So Streetside, I'm biased, it's my, that's my business unit. We build all the multifamily uh, projects, so anything stratified. Uh, Foxridge is our single-family home division here in BC, and then we also have a division called Coleco Communities. On top of that, there's, there's other business unit, uh, Rancho Property Management, and they're based downtown Vancouver. But bigger picture when you look at Coleco, um, There's a variety of single-family home divisions spread right across Canada and in Texas. We have offices in in, in, um, Austin and and, and Dallas. But here in in Canada, we we go as far as the Ontario border. And uh, Streetside itself, we have four business units. So there's one in BC, one in Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg. But then the the single-family divisions, I probably couldn't count all of them, but Foxridge being one, but in Calgary and Edmonton, there's a couple of business units in each city, uh, same in Winnipeg, Saskatoon, Regina. So really, really do have a, a good coverage across Western Canada. And then on top of that, there's um, a property division, Colico Properties, which looks after held real estate offices and, and, and other projects like that. And then on top of it, vertically, we, we have supply chain businesses too. So there's Star Lumber, Star Plumbing. Uh, we've got a flooring company, um, building products, mechanical. So really broad range. And Colico has been around a while. Originally started, gosh, um, way back in 1951. So we've just passed our 70th anniversary. And that was in Winnipeg. And we've grown since then, basically. The interesting piece, Kevin Van, who's our, our current president and is, is directly related to the, the family that started it, Dr. David and uh, Catherine Friesen, He's the one who actually started the multifamily and, and kind of coined the phrase way back, oh, probably 20-odd years ago, you know, if we're going to have a, a multifamily division, let's have, have one name to represent it, which is the Streetside brand. And Streetside so, is not, so Streetside BC is obviously specific to, to the, this province, but Streetside is, is across Western Canada as well? That's right, yes. So yeah, well, there, are, there are separate Streetside business units in Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg, but we're all doing similar things, townhouses, condominiums, you know, uh, wood frame and, and concrete, et cetera. Well, depending on their demand, I'd say that Winnipeg and ourselves are probably into the, the, the higher and bigger buildings more than 
Calgary and Edmonton. And that's partly based upon the market demand as well. Jonathan, one thing that strikes me about your story is, so 20 years in Canada from the UK before that, you also worked at Concert, which is a really well-regarded company here in, in Vancouver. One thing that I've been thinking about before before we jumped on this call is Qualico's a, as a massively successful company. I'm just wondering about what is unique about Qualico, I guess, thinking about your, your career. Mm. Gosh, yeah. You know, I, I think there's a couple of different components that make it successful. We are our own standalone business units. We have to be able to perform. As simple as that. But there is the strength of a large company able to support us. So when we're looking at future acquisitions and trying to build a pipeline of, uh, of projects for the future, we are able to rely on a company that has the equity, has the, the wherewithal to make it happen, to be able to acquire the site so that we can start to build that pipeline. And that's, that's interesting because it, it is similar. And it's funny you mentioned it, looking at it that way. It, it is similar in some ways to concert that way. Uh, concert's um, another privately held business, but it, but also has considerable assets that allow it to, to operate and, and function. I think partly in, when, they, when they made the decision to move, and I'll be honest, the reason I moved, I live out in, in Langley, is part of it was the commute was killing me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and I don't miss the commute one day. But, but to be honest with you, there's actually quite a lot similar. They're both well-positioned companies that are in this for the long run. We're not, we're not here today, gone tomorrow. One of the interesting things that actually really attracted to me, and I was talking to someone at Travelers once, and they, they mentioned that both Concert and Qualico are two of very few developers where all the projects are, li- are registered under the, the, the company name. There's no limited company this or X Street Developments that. And I think having that integrity was something that really grabbed me. Like I mentioned earlier, Chartered Surveyor and there's a lot of underlying core learning when you become a Tata Surveyor around ethics and culture and principles. And, and I think that's what's probably appealed to both of these businesses. And yeah, the fact that Qualico then, going back to the original part of your question, allows us to independently say, okay, well, let's step in this direction. If you can put the right, you know, if you've got the right business case and you can put forward the rationale and the plan around how you're going to achieve it, they will support you. And that's that's really neat because it gives you a degree of entrepreneurship and it's allowed us to grow street side, which is fantastic for us and for our position in the BC market. Well, I think, I think touching on integrity there, like I mentioned before we started recording is I live in a Fox Ridge home up in Burke mountain, the Coquitlam area and the sales process, the aftermarket care, the quality of the home, I'd buy another one in a heartbeat. So I think I, I totally agree with you when you see that. And it just seems like a lot of the people that we dealt with throughout the sales process, the building process, then after the fact is they, they generally seem like they care. It wasn't trying to rush us off the phone. There was a problem. They attended to it. So I, I can totally see where you're coming from that. Getting back to Streetside there, you I mean Streetside obviously has a lot of great projects over the years. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about some of the projects in the past and then we can touch base maybe on some upcoming and exciting projects and some of the markets you're working within? Yeah, for sure. So Streetside BC, we, we're actually celebrating 10 years this year. So it was really, uh, it was kind of interesting when we started talking about doing this that uh, I thought, oh, that's a great chance to just say, hey, we're 10 years old here. So we're, we're actually an interesting boat. And it's, it's really nice to hear you love your Fox at home. We're trying to get to that same recognition and acceptance with Streetside. We believe we're building good quality product, but we, we don't have that longevity that they have in our market yet. 
But yeah, over the last 10 years, we've definitely been active. In fact, we're we're actually up for uh, we've been nominated for some uh, uh, shortlisted, I should say, for some awards at the Georgies this year for one of our projects, which is really exciting. And it's called Orchard Park. It's in South Surrey. It's an 80-unit townhouse project, but it's it's sort of a, a modern Scandinavian design, and that in itself is quite neat. But we've been working predominantly in wood to date, so. We've operated mainly in Surrey and Langley. Um, we have got stuff coming in Burnaby, and I'll, I'll come on to that one in a minute. But uh, we started out with the townhouses, but we've grown. So we've we've completed some four-story and six-story wood frame condominiums now, and now we're looking at concrete as well, which is which is exciting, and I think it's the future for our region and for density in our region. But um, yeah, we've we've operated in Maple Ridge. We've finished two projects there, and I. I have to say, to be honest with you, and it's not, I'm, I'm going to sound biased because I love what I do and, and I work for a good company, but we've built some really nice product. Our largest project to date, Canopy in North Surrey, is 302 townhouses. And now we're working on another master plan in South Surrey called Burroughs, uh, 320 homes. So we, we've got a lot of townhouse product, but the other piece we're moving into, especially as you move in towards Vancouver, is, is density. So just before we started recording, as you mentioned, we, we've got a couple of projects on the Hastings Corridor in North Burnaby. Uh, the first one's finished, Forte, and the second one we're in, uh, we're actually in a very big hole in the ground or a swimming pool probably today, um, <laughs> and uh, called Vallejo. And that's a, a very interesting concept of, of mixed use. So it's uh, 62 condominiums, but it's also commercial and office. So there's retail at grade. Uh, we've got four regular retail units and a grocery space. And then there's a stratified office. So that's actually going to be a steel and concrete structure. And then we, we, are, we are moving into other markets. So we commenced uh, a development permit process for our, our first high-rise tower in, in Surrey, in, in, in essence, in our backyard, but it's an area we know. And we've just been through ADP and we're working towards our, uh, our, our development permit process with the city. So uh, hopefully here we'll go into first and second reading soon. And that's the first of several. We're looking at some more sites like that. And and that's exciting. That's that's a step beyond where street sets in any market has been, but it's where Vancouver's going. Uh, density is, is definitely something we've got to deal with and address and, and provide a variety of living in a variety of formats. So that's a real quick synopsis anyways. And do you see, in terms of the... It's kind of interesting the the how the regional identity will be. It sounds like moving towards kind of concrete and just bigger projects. Is that an opportunity in your mind, or is that just kind of part and parcel of of operating in in Metro Vancouver? Well, you know, I, I think it's part and parcel of operating here, and the fact that, that a lot of the cities are dialing into, especially around transportation nodes, the need for better density. It's also part of the maturing of Vancouver as a location. It is a world city. And if you, I've had the fortune to travel a bit, but if you look at a lot of the other world cities, it's achieved that ability not by horizontal spread, but by vertical spread. That vertical growth allows you to achieve more people per acre. It creates that vitality that allows the cities to succeed. And the downtown core of Vancouver is a great example of that, that mixed live, work, play opportunity, right? Not everybody can afford to live downtown. 
we've got SkyTrain and we, we need to develop that. But once you get to each station, we need to add that density there so that we aren't spreading horizontally. There is a limit. We're limited by the ALR, and that's a whole different political thing. But ultimately, to, to create a vibrant city, we need to densify. We're going to see single-family neighborhoods. A great example is Fleetwood, right? Two blocks from the Fraser Highway, you can be in single-family homes, and yet we're about to put a SkyTrain station through there. And don't get me wrong, I know the city of Surrey is, is already working on all the updated plans, and it's, it's actually really excellent because they've They've looked at it and said, we've got to get the density around these SkyTrade stations. So for us as a business, it makes sense that we are involved in those markets. And I feel like we've, we're kind of touching on it, but what in your mind, so it sounds like you're always looking for future acquisitions and kind of fill in the pipeline. What mm -hmm. makes a good development site uh, for Streetside? There's a variety of factors, and it depends really on partly what the neighborhood plan allows. So, you know, we're, we're in South Surrey. We're looking at in around the Grandview area. And, and that's a different function than perhaps Surrey City Centre or somewhere like Bequitlam, where density really does make a difference. South Surrey doesn't have those SkyTrain links. So you're not necessarily going to see everything be concrete high-rise. There's certainly going to be a place for townhouses and, and, and six-story wood frame and that slightly more affordable component that comes from it. But... Where those occur, what we're looking for is, and South Surrey is a really good example with the whole of the Morgan Crossing, Morgan Heights area, and, and all of the ability to access a new shopping core, basically. But there's there's people that don't want to live in a high rise. You've got a family, for example, and don't get me wrong, I know there's families living in high rise, but as you start to have children, you do have a desire for more space. And we're getting into actually an interesting scenario where we're getting municipalities wanting three-bedroom homes in condo towers. And we actually get into this sort of really odd situation where you're paying a huge strata fee for your 1,000-square-foot three-bed unit when you could be in a townhouse. There's a bit of a crossover there. And, and so when we're looking at sites, to get back to your thing, we're looking at, you know, how does it relate to the neighborhood plan? Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I've been involved with before and don't really want to get into OCP amendments and things again. So we're looking for stuff that's zoned correctly, or if it's not, there's a, just an ability to rezone as part of a DP package. But I think the other part of it is just there's an ability for us to keep going with what we know. So, for example, in South Surrey, we've built, I think, four projects now, and we're looking at some other sites. It's ability to remain in a marketplace and keep your name, but also just keep doing what you're doing. You know who the planners are for that area. You know, who you're dealing with the engineering, and it, it, there's an efficiency to it. Once it gets to the high-rise, it's, it's really just a question of doing your due diligence. You know, how does your performer work? What will the city allow? For example, in the city, sorry, the city centre, you know, figuring out how your tier two CACs might work on what density you can get on the site. But also from that perspective, what's saleable? What, what are people looking for? But also what are the city trying to achieve? So it, there's no one rule or one, you know, yeah, one rule fits all. It is about adapting a bit. You talked about some markets that you guys are, are currently in and you've been in the past. Is there any markets that Streetside is looking to go into that maybe you haven't done just yet? Maybe whether it be Lower Mainland or even maybe Vancouver Island or the BC Interior Market for that matter? Yeah. Um, so we, 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 uh, we actually, right now, we're predominantly Metro Vancouver-based. There are some areas that intrigue me, um, and there's some areas where I just think right now we don't want to go there. Uh, I'll speak about those in a minute, but someone like Delta, for example, we haven't got anything there, and I, I think there's an opportunity. 
Abbotsford. I know everyone's looking in and around Mission and Abbotsford, and I really would like to be able to get into doing some more townhouse work in those areas because I think there's a potential. But we've actually also picked up a site. Uh, we've purchased some land in Squamish, and I really think that's got growth potential, not only for servicing people that want to live closer to Whistler, but work in Vancouver, but also servicing people who work in Vancouver, uh, Whistler, sorry, who can't afford to live there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the areas I really wrestle with right now is the North Shore, and it's not a negative. In fact, I, I worked, when I was at concert, we were working on projects in the city of North Van, and the city of North Van's definitely got it dialed in. And, and over time, I've, I've worked in all three of the municipalities up there, but problems are access. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but transportation links is such a key issue. And just wrestling with, it's not part of our core area. Our trades that we work with here, uh, a lot of them come out of the valley. Getting to the North Shore is uh, quite a bind. You know, you're, bound, you're down to two bridges. Everybody's working in and around the same hour. So everyone's trying to go to the same place at the same time. And trades, it's not easy for them to use CBUS. You know, when they're bringing materials and equipment with them, you know, a lot of them will carpool, but there's a premium to working there. And there's other companies that have got that figured out, and that's okay. But for us, where our core trade base is, it's, it makes life harder. Does the transportation aspect of it have a lot of influence on an acquisition for street side? We do. As a whole, yes, we do look at where things are in relation to it. And certainly as we move into high-rise, we are definitely assessing what is a transportation opportunity. So, for example, you know, if we're looking at Paquitlam or Surrey City Centre, which is the two places we're working on right now, is the SkyTrain walkable? And and I'd argue that maybe 400, I'd say you could even call 800 metres walkable. It's, you know, it's 10, 12, 15-minute walk. It's not far. So, yes, transportation links are important. There are other areas, like I say, South Surrey, where people, as we get beyond COVID, you know, they're getting back to wanting to go south of the border and, and also have access relatively easy access to the airport and other things as well. And so from those sides of things, it's a different, it's a car-based transportation link. But uh, as we look at Langley and Surrey with the new SkyTrain coming out, there's definitely a focus on where are we in relation to those SkyTrains, even for townhouses. Can you make it walkable? The rapid buses that they've got now and the the future, um, oh dear, it was announced last week at the UDI, the, the fast bus, I think it was called or something. Anyway, you know, those corridors are going to be of interest to everybody because it is about people being able to move quickly between places with, I would say, limited number of changes because that's all, it's a hassle and it's it's time lost, but also with, with maximum efficiency. And as we densify, we've got to address moving people better. You know, this is one thing I, I, I haven't really thought about is just from your perspective here, like the efficiency of of knowing the planners, the efficiency of having the labor in a specific market, the desire to have a brand presence, all these factors, I, I guess, you know, cause, cause we sell real estate, I'm always thinking about marketing it to, to end users, but, uh, this is a, a, a different perspective, which is really interesting. I, I'm just wondering, especially in, in relation to interest rate increases and what appears to be a slowdown here, like this street side, are you guys thinking at all about timing the market or or how do you approach, mm. you know, the ebbs and flows of the Vancouver real estate market? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. We, we, we do think about where people want to live as well. When oh, we're sure. Making of course. Decisions, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. So I think that there's a couple of things to think about there. 
yes, we do look at it. We do think about the timing and, and we've got projects that are going through different stages of approval now. And so we we do wrestle with it and say, do we speed that up? Do we slow it down? Do we do we change it? And and we 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 try to be somewhat dynamic, but confined to some degree within planning policy. The other part of it though is I forget who said it, but one of the bank's uh, economic advisors, you know, they're all in contact with the Bank of Canada and there's a range of opinions. Oh, it's going to calm down in 12 months, 18 months, whatever, and interest rate's going to get to this level or this level. But I think the bigger thing is, is we have to look at it at a bigger picture level. And part of it's like when I say don't panic, what I mean is, you know, let's let's just be calm about this. Let's be measured, have some backup plans, but bear in mind this region's going to continue to grow. Metro Vancouver's plan, you know, it's like a million people in the next 10 years. I think, I think it was 60,000 forecast this year. Mm-hmm. We, we had net migration, even interprovincial migration, into the area last year and the year before. These all point to growth. And at the moment, we're just not approving that many homes. The approvals dropped off. I think we're, last year, I think, we, maybe, I think it was about 25,000 approved well, if we've got 60,000 coming in, and even if it's only two people in a home, we still need 30,000. So there's more demand outstripping supply. So we're going to continually have that constraint. There's the approvals constraint, and I know that's all in the press. Minister Eby and others are, are trying to wrestle with it, and that that's great. But we've also got that constraint, like you mentioned, economically. We've got supply chain wobbles happening right around the world. There's, what is it, 300-odd ships parked in Shanghai waiting to pick up goods. Well, guess where they should all be? They should be all over the planet right now. And they're not. They're stuck. And so we're going to see things come and uh, ebb and flow in supply chain, which is going to also constrict completions. So whilst we may see some wobbles and we may see the market soften a bit for the next 12 months or 18 months, the longer term picture is we're still going to grow, right? Right now, you talked touch base there a little about supply chain issues. Obviously, inflation has been on the forefront mm-hmm. of a lot of conversations. And, and in the development world, it's probably, I mean, very, very up there on a daily basis right now. Are you? What are you guys seeing from a, a cost perspective? And obviously, we're not asking you to get into numbers. Has there been a dramatic increase in the costs? And you, how are you guys navigating that? And I guess, where do you see that going? And just to add to that, is street side, it strikes me with your kind of different arms that you potentially are in a much better situation to navigate inflation than other companies. But Yeah. Um, I'm not the brains in that sense. I have a great team here at Speedside who help me look ahead and think about where we're going. So if we just look at the, the cost piece, yeah, I think people think developers are just making this huge ton of money, but you forget every project we sell, a large percentage, it's surprising, it's over 20%. 25% the cost of every door goes back to different levels of government in taxes and fees and everything else. So every time a government or a municipality looks at a fee and says, right, we're going to increase our CSEs, DCCs, we can't keep bearing that ourselves. It goes on the price of the door. Likewise, yeah, our construction costs have risen massively in the last year, 18 months, two years. We look at the commodity markets more and more and more. I can tell you quite honestly, when I was just purely working in development, even just three years ago, I might have looked at the commodity markets every quarter. Nowadays, it's probably almost daily, especially in the lumber market. You know, and it's it's significant. And it's not just the, the actual commodity pricing, it's the availability. So we're trying to predict, okay, well, steel may be snafu in Shanghai right now. So when, what's happening to rebar? Lumber, 
you know, okay, which mills are going to go down next? Who's going to be servicing what? We're in an interesting market with lumber that has been so stable for so long. And suddenly over two years, we've had the most erratic price per board foot fluctuations that have just not followed any market trends. It makes predictions very hard. So we've actually had to stomach big increases. It's as simple as that. That has, you know, those things have caused a constriction in, in production, which cause the demand and supply cost equation to occur. And it does. It pushes up the price of a door. If, if one developer needs appliances more than the next, they're, they're going, and, and they're desperate, they'll, they'll pay that bit extra for it, right? Right. Glass is another one. There's been a huge uh, challenge getting glass for everybody. And, and different manufacturers have secured supply based upon production rates, et cetera, which is great. But if they've got it, they can charge more. So, yes, we do, we do wrestle with it. Going back to the other part of your question, though, Qualico being a bigger business or having that bigger breadth, it does help us in some ways. It's odd. It's not like we go out and all four street side business units go and secure X billion numbers of, you know, board foot of lumber, for example. But we do, there's a, there's a division called Star Lumber. They track not just board foot, but they track sheet prices and, and a whole series of engineered wood products as well and produce reports that are shared internally every week. So we've, we've got some fairly good intel about what's going on. But coming back to the relationship with our contractors and our suppliers, we work very closely with, with local suppliers, Dix Lumber, Country Lumber. And as a result of it, they're pretty open back to us. Okay, well, this is where the supply is. This is where pricing is. So we are continually having to adjust what we do based on the data that's coming at us. But like I say, it comes back to having an intelligent team that's able to make those analysis, uh, analyses and provide me with the input so that we've got that picture and we can say, okay, let's do this. Let's pre-order that. Let's do X. So, you know, for example, we've got some concrete parkades underway. Guess what? We can, we can start to use them as temporary warehousing, right? We can store stuff. So we're starting to think that way too. Is, well, maybe we should get stuff delivered ahead because we've got space to keep it. And that helps us try to manage that inflation piece mm. a little bit better. No, one thing I'm just thinking about, and I don't know if this is something that you can answer, but the cost of labor is going up, the cost of goods is going up, and within a rising interest rate environment, potentially either prices are going to stall or even decline over the next 12, 18 months. You know, who, who knows, crystal ball, that type of thing. But where does the, is there, is there a moment, you know, where every door costs more, right? That's what you're, you basically said with, mm-hmm. the, with inflation, but is there a moment where, you know, the end user, the, the, the purchaser just can't, the market's just not there. Like, I'm just wondering what, what that looks like. And I know it sounds like, as far as I understand what you're saying here is there's that long-term kind of stability of growth for the region where, you know, long-term there's not any fear, but I guess inflation is something that I just, we've never really thought about all that much, at least since I've been in this business. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I, I, I was, you know, I was a child during Margaret Thatcher's years. And, and one of the things she drove home was everyone had a right to own their own home. And, and I feel, you know, when I moved here, it, it feels the same. And uh, you, you had Vince on from Pilot House, Vince Taylor, uh, a couple of weeks back. And, right. and he made this observation that 
we are becoming, in becoming a world city, and if you look at other countries, other cities, this is the same scenario. We are getting to this point where, and I hate to say it because I grew up in that culture of everyone should own their own home. We are getting to a point where we, we have to acknowledge that not everyone is going to. And I don't just mean in the short term. Some people just may never own a home. They may rent for life. So there's a need to look at things differently there because it's not available to them. Their salary, that whatever they're doing, they're, 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 the money they've got available means they just can't get into the housing market and they're going to be renters. There's two things that come out of that. One is how do they plan for their future and what do they do? And it's interesting. You look at countries like Sweden where I think it's 70% of people rent for their entire lives. You know, so this isn't this isn't, isn't new worldwide. It's new mm-hmm. to us. You know, you go to London, uh, and I worked in London for years. I moved out of London to buy a house and then put up with, you know, 45 minutes on a high-speed express train to go to work every day, along with, you know, several million of my closest neighbors, because <laughs> we couldn't afford, couldn't afford to live in London. Everyone in London was renting. It was only the high-wealth individuals that actually owned their own homes. So this goes to my second point, which is, Bob Rennie said this several years ago, there's something like $50 billion in assets in the lower mainland, people who paid off their mortgages, maybe haven't passed away, but people will come to have or inherit that wealth in the future. And it's about investors, but it's about having a rental market that's acceptable across a range of of housing types. So it does require a change in thinking. And, And don't get me wrong, I'd love to say to everybody, yeah, we're going to be able to build homes that's affordable to everybody. But as you've alluded to, and, and, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, all these costs mean it's it's not free. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to look at slightly differently at how we work. And we'll, I'll use London as the analogy. The wealthiest live closest to work in the center. And as you move further out, there's a range of income and wealth. And people have to put up with commuting a bit more based upon their, you know, what their income is. And, and I know that's politically a very sensitive thing to talk about. But we have to look beyond just... A sort of a Vancouver planning and a Burnaby planning, and a, we have to look at a region and how do people move around and how do we make the whole space accessible to everybody. So it's yeah, it's a hot potato. I get it, <laughs> but uh, it's something we've got to kind of get a, get to grips with. Well, Jonathan, we we thank you so much for your time, and we know we've taken up more than we're probably allotted to. But before we let you go here, we have a six pack of lighthearted questions, so our listeners get to know you a little bit better outside of the office. So we're gonna can you stick around for that? Yeah. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. We'll give you an easy softball pitch here to start you off. Favorite vacation spot when you can find the time? Oh, my gosh. I've been lucky to travel a lot. If I had to go back to one place again, it would be South Africa. It's oh, just an unbelievable country. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Huh. Okay, that's one that yeah. I don't think we've had. Usually we get Cozumel. I'm not one for sitting speech. If you talk to someone who's been to Africa, there's something about the sense, the feeling, the uh, just something soulful about the continent that you go, hmm, but no one can put the right words to it, interesting. if that makes sense. Huh. Yeah. Okay. That, that's interesting. 
One, <laughs> this feels so. Speaking about the soulful quality of, of uh, yeah. the African continent, this is uh, seems like a, a silly question. But is there something you've been binge watching lately, or or favorite movie? Oh gosh, uh, so I'm a, I'm a, in England you call it a petrol head gearhead. Uh, Drive to Survive. I right. binged that recently. Yeah, and I've just seen they've signed seasons four and five, and I was quite pleased about it. It's getting another generation, but a broader range of people into into Formula One. Yeah, no, we, we've we've heard that the formula, the Netflix effect, I think they call it, where they were just talking about how some of these races have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger from an attendance standpoint since that series came out. Oh gosh, yes, yeah. I went to some Formula One racing back in the UK, and in in actually went to Belgium and, and Paul Ricard in France years ago, and it was easy to get into and cheap. Now it's like. Four hundred dollars for the cheapest seat, where you see wow. a car once every you know twenty five seconds, and it's it's gone in a, a nanosecond. But yeah, it, it's good though too. But yeah, I, I'm yeah, just a sport I enjoy. So if you're having a couple of drinks and someone puts a karaoke mic in front of you, what song are you singing? Oh my gosh, that's an awesome question. Oh Vic, what am I singing? Well, it's probably eighties rock somewhere. I'm showing my age. Um, so I, my kids think I have a very eclectic mix of music, but um, yeah, I hate to say it, but something like Bon Jovi will crop up or Def Leppard. But uh, oh, good one. No, anything, those are, those always are those hits. Put some sugar would, on me. Would work. <laughs> yeah, Queen. Unfortunately, yeah, I do know the words to Bohemian Rhapsody. So. <laughs> well, this is a related uh, favorite band. If you had to choose one, oh. I'd be torn. Uh, I've seen Pink Floyd, Def Leppard. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know. They're different for different ways, right? Depends on your mood. Yeah. 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 We'll go with it. Yeah. We, we can go with 80s rock. We can go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A book all of our listeners need to read. Oh, I read it. Uh, I'm a bit of a nerd. I like to read technical and, and work-related things. But the last great book I read, which was well, uh, earlier this year, Boys in the Boat. It's, uh, I rode at uni and my, my, both my, my two children have got into rowing here locally. It's about the Americans' quest for the Olympics uh, in Berlin in 1936, I think it was. And it's just about, it, it's a very cool story about just overcoming the odds. It's actually a movie as well now, I think, as well. And uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen the movie. And yeah, just a really well-written book. Interest is that? Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Is that? Is there any sort of prelude to World War Two at those? I'm trying to think of those Olympics. Yeah, actually, there was a bit because yes, it was in basically what was Nazi Germany at the time, right? So right. there was uh, very much, you know, the Germans were going to be the favorites to win the race and everything else, and, and some of these, some of these uh, members of the team were were just scraping by, you know. They were like sons of your loggers and shipyard workers and things, and they'd all come out of Seattle, or at least some of them had grown up out of Seattle and racing in Seattle and uh, University of Washington, right? And they there they are against this hugely funded German operation, and 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 yeah, it was just a it was a bit of a I mean, don't get me wrong, I know the Americans can make the movies a bit of a David and Glass, but the books really get you into the lives of the rowers. Wow, sounds like it sounds. Uh, I'm interested. Yeah, 
there um there's some some neat side stories there was the the coach is quite a character but then there was this english boat builder who was living in seattle that was building the boat for them and it's just how they became a victorious team and and determination but you know if you knuckle down and work hard and it captures so many things knuckle down and work hard things can come to you and they can come to you in the right way Oh, the best. Those are the best stories. Oh, fantastic. Final question for you. It's Friday night. The sun's shining. What restaurant and bar are you going to? Oh, gosh. So I live in Fort Langley and there's a new restaurant just opened called Saba. I'm not being paid to say that, but it's walkable and it's got a good ambience. They got a great menu, good wine. I think my wife just went there, to be honest with you, because her and her girlfriends went out to Fort Langley to this new restaurant, and she was just, she's been raving about it ever since. So that that name sounds for me, I could be wrong, but for some reason, I think that's the restaurant they went to. Yeah, no, I've lived in Fort Langley the entire time I've been here. And uh, yeah, Saba started as a little cafe that did sort of breakfast and lunch, moved into a bit of dinner, and they've just moved into a new location to open an evening sort of bistro restaurant. And actually, I think the summer could be really successful with them. They've got a really good feel and vibe to the place. And, uh, yeah, I've had a, a couple of really good meals there. As a final question, Jonathan, uh, how can people find out more about, I guess, yourself and what you're doing over at Streetside BC? Streetsidebc.com is our website. You can see uh, on there, we've actually just refreshed it for our 10th anniversary. So it's, it's, it's quite easy to navigate around. You can see all the communities we're working in and what's coming and where and uh, and also just a bit of history, but from there you can also link in and learn about Colico as a company and Foxridge. And um, yeah, we've got, I'm not very social media savvy, but we've got Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and the other feeds. And I will get in trouble for missing one of them. Instagram, right? That's the other one. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and you can see what's going on there and when we're hiring and, and what people are doing. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time, Jonathan. That was a a great conversation. I feel like it would be great to have you back. It felt like that went pretty quick. It's flown by. I'm not sure when 50 minutes went, but yeah, thank you. Great. Thanks so much for your time time today, Jonathan. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good one to you You and everybody. Take care, Jonathan. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks, our interview with Jonathan Meads, Vice President of Streetside Development, BC Division. Yeah, that was a great conversation with Jonathan. And like I said before, I honestly left thinking, man, I wish I had another half hour, 45 minutes, maybe even longer to talk to Jonathan. And I feel like he almost felt like he was just getting started. There seemed like there was so much to unpack there. I think there's definitely a beer for the three of us in our future somewhere on a patio just talking about real estate. He, you, know when you, you know when you meet guys and you just can have like a very fluid, easy conversation with them and you just are left wanting more? Yeah. Jonathan is that guy. So one day, hopefully in the summertime, we can twist his arm and take him for a beer and hear a whole bunch more. And then also at the same point in time, we're going to have part two of this interview <laughs> at some point. Yeah, hopefully after a couple of drinks. <laughs> but it was it was great. I, I feel like Streetside, like I, I kind of suggested in the intro, Streetside is is unique in that, you know, a lot of Vancouver-based developers get exported or or you know or look to other markets, right? Like Seattle, yeah. Toronto. I feel like Streetside's unique in that it's kind of a, a relatively newcomer to Metro Vancouver from elsewhere, but uh really doing interesting things in the Fraser Valley. And it sounds like, and along Hastings, but 
it sounds like going to be a bigger and bigger player as, as as time goes on here. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Lots of good projects in the pipeline. Jonathan alludes to that. There's probably a lot of things we can't say just yet that are probably in the pipeline as well. And, uh, and it seems like a lot of the projects they've had in the past have had huge success with them. So we'll look forward to a lot more street side developments coming down in 2022, 2023. Yeah, I don't know if this, I can't recall if this was in the the actual conversation. Rancho. I know. Who, I, that I had that no blew well, who, our, both of our hair back. I think that Rancho is, uh, is a Colco company. Well, even not even just Rancho. Obviously, Rancho is a big management firm. All the different divisions of supplies that they use from windows to you name it, to property management. I mean, it's really you know vertical company when yeah. it comes to developing, not just your typical developer that's obviously third-partying a lot of these contracts out and then bringing also management. It seems like it's all under one umbrella. Yeah, no, super. It was really interesting. And like I said, definitely part deux. <laughs> <laughs> Coming, Corey. But before we get to the day, uh, what else do we got? We have, of course, WilliamWright.ca. People can reach out to us anytime at our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. They can always send me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca, or they can visit our website, WilliamWright.ca, for the latest and greatest news. And I encourage people to reach out. We've had some great people send some emails as of late talking all about like their portfolios, projects like that. I even had some people from Vancouver Island reach out saying, hey, Stop talking about the great market over here. You're letting everyone know the secret. So, so for all of our listeners that heard any of our previous podcasts around Vancouver Island, Nanaimo, Langford, or Victoria, it's all a lie. Don't buy them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you are interested, WilliamRank.ca is If you are interested, go. we do have an office over there. We'd love to talk to you more. And Matt, I, I have to say, you've never looked better in the studio than you do right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, last but not least, uh, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is where the transcripts of these episodes live and the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast lives along with the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. So check out the summaries there if you're interested. Yeah, that's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. I think, Corey, that's it for the day. I'm a, I'm a little uh, discombobulated here because you're on the road and I'm sitting staring off in the space. So uh, maybe we'll <laughs> cut there for the day and uh, and we'll be back next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, guys. Subscribe today.